This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. A flat return for Arsenal in the knockout stages of the Champions League. Galeno's curler in injury time gives Porto a slender lead while Arteta's men never really got going. In many ways, Porto didn't let them. Good to see 41-year-old Pepe still doing it at this level. There is hope for all of us in the other game. Napoli and Barca show why they're not quite the same teams they were last year. A one-all draw in a game that neither dominated, but both could have won. We did get a bit of elite striking from Robert Lewandowski and Victor Osserman. Liverpool overcome a stodgy first half and score four to beat Luton to go four points clear at the top of the Premier League. We'll look ahead to the Reds' Carabao Cup final with Chelsea and the Premier League games as Big Sir Jim talks to the media for the first time. Then everyone will laugh at me as Neil Harris buggers off from Cambridge United after five minutes. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Jonathan Faduba, welcome. Good morning, Max. Uh, hello, Lars Sivertson. Good morning, guys. And welcome, Barry Glendenning. Thank you, Max. Tom says, have Arsenal used all their goals? Michael says, has there ever been a bigger discrepancy between the quality of a winning goal and the quality of a game than we've just sat through? Uh, yeah, Porto won, Arsenal nil. Uh, Galeno's injury time curler, Barry, was the difference. Um, it was a great goal after not a fascinating football match. Yeah, that's about the size of it, really. I think there was this presumption that Arsenal would win this game quite comfortably. And it turned out to be far from correct. And now the presumption seems to be that they will win the second leg quite comfortably. And they may well do. But if they are to win the second leg comfortably, they'll have to do something they didn't do in this leg, which is get a shot on target. And that's quite surprising considering how clinical they've been in recent games. But in Porto, they were facing far wilier, more streetwise opposition than you know, Sheffield United or West Ham. And they played really badly. Porto didn't let them play their game. And there was lots of niggly fouls by various Porto players. Uh, They crowded midfield and and didn't offer Arsenal a way through there. And you would think then that that would leave room out on the flanks for for Bukayo Saka and Martinelli, but they didn't. Uh, Any time the ball came towards Martinelli, he was immediately sort of crowded off it uh, by Juan Mario, who's very good at at right back for Porto. And uh, the manager's son, Francisco Conciao, 
was uh, you know they would double up on him, and so you know lots of hard running by Porto's players who worked very hard. Should have taken the lead in the first half uh, when Wenderson Galeno, who scored the winner, rifled one off the upright. Well, sort of rifled off the upright and the, the angle of upright and post and then came straight back to him and he had an empty goal to, to volley the ball into and somehow put it wide. Uh, but he redeemed himself with just a, a wonderful finish. But it was a sloppy goal for Arsenal to give away because... Gabriel Martinelli tried to play this sort of Hollywood ball across the field to Bukayo Saka, missed his target. Otavio won the ball or intercepted the pass. It ended up with uh, Galeno and he scored this absolute worldie, which was completely out of character with what was otherwise a reasonably absorbing but quite dull game. And and Mikel Arteta was, was interviewed afterwards and he was quite clearly very very angry with his players yeah uh, after after the game um Lars Mark Bosnich who was on TV with criticized David Rea quite a lot actually and as he said his starting position for that goal was terrible because if you watch it it sort of goes in the bottom it's not right in the top corner and sort of went further to say like he's cost Arsenal quite a few times this season and it's interesting because that Ramsdale Rea chat has quietened down quite a bit yeah, you know, far be it for me to uh, to challenge the goalkeepers' union in in this regard. Uh, and Mr. Bosnich knows more about this than I do. It just I, from a more layman's term, in terms of that, it it looked weird, and and I think it's because the the shot isn't moving at the kind of speed you would expect a shot to have to move at to beat a goalkeeper from that range. It's it's almost like a yeah. it's almost like a cross, really, in terms of the 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 curve and the move. But when you watch the sort of when you watch it back in slow motion, it, it it's very high, it's quite high, so he he get he can't really reach it. But he would have almost had time to sort of shuffle across a little bit and 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 change his positioning. But of course, that's a hard thing to assess as the shot is coming in. No, it it it, it looked a little bit strange, and and I he did make some mistakes earlier in the season, and I'm. Ramsdale's not flawless, but I do kind of still feel Arsenal may have caused themselves a bit of a headache by adding him to the mix without really upgrading that much on, on Ramsdale. I mean, but, but maybe I'm rating Ramsdale too highly now, but he never occurred, never struck me as a bad goalkeeper, just one that's maybe not amazing. And that's kind of how I feel about Raya as well. Hmm. Uh, Jake says, can you name a body part that a Porto player hasn't fallen down holding during this game? <laughs> Charlie says, is there a risk that Porto have to play football in the sep- second leg? It's funny, Jonathan, because I was focusing on Napoli Barca. I had the comms of Napoli Barca, but I'm watching this game. I saw the Porto game plan, but I didn't. It didn't feel as anti-football as that. And I don't. I mean, obviously, I didn't hear like the commentary in the UK, so I don't know how influenced people get by commentators, or if you thought Porto Porto were playing sort of anti-football, kick Arsenal, stop the game at every single opportunity. No, I didn't think it was anti-football really. To be honest, um, they weren't amazing. I mean, this isn't a vintage Porto side by any means. A lot of the players are sort of, you know, not 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 the Porto sides of old. You know, in, in the top top talents they've had, there's one or two sort of. Star names potentially. Uh, Conceição, for example, is one who uh, on the wing has got a bright future, and he he was quite good in spells. But I didn't really think they intended to sort of break the game down or anything. I think both sides. I think I think Arsenal are kind of a quite a conservative team in many ways. Um, a lot of well, they had zero shots on target, and their their main sort of attacks were corners. Um, they looked most threatening from set pieces. Uh, Arsenal and and had a couple of you know Havertz had one header that he maybe could have uh, could have done better with um 
but in the first half. But I, I didn't really see much difference between the, the kind of approach in terms of how attacking either side was. Arsenal looked to control the game in that sense, but not necessarily flying all out attacking. I thought with Porto, they, they were quite scrappy was the thing I, I thought about them. It wasn't that they were maybe a neg- playing a negative style, but it's more when they sort of got into Arsenal's half, they, they just lacked a bit of nous. They had this... They, this, they gave me this sort of like street baller vibes where imagine like, you, you know, like you're playing five aside and you've got this sort of te- the technical five aside players who are sort of trying to, I don't know, hit the ball off the, in a cage or whatever, trying to hit the ball off the wall and go around you and stuff like that. And, you know, trying little things, um, little moves and but they just didn't quite come off. The final third play was scrappy. And, um, you know, as I said, the final ball wasn't great, but the goal was magnificent when it came to it. I think a lot of people were expecting Arsenal to win the second leg, but when it came to it, Martinelli, Saka didn't really, really show up in this game. Presuming that those uh, people who are complaining about Porto were Arsenal fans, I think this is a throwback to the Wenger era where he got very sniffy indeed if teams he considered beneath his didn't roll out the red carpet and just usher his players through to, to allow them shots on goal. Um, and to be fair... Uh, uh, Arteta didn't really complain about that. He did complain about Porto shithousery at corners, but I think that was six of one and half a dozen of the other because Ben White was constantly trying to get up in uh, Porto goalkeeper Diogo Costa's grill uh, and actually ended up being wrestled into the back of the net while one corner was being delivered in the second half, which I thought was quite funny. Um, so, you know, Porto played how they played. I thought they looked more dangerous throughout, always looked more likely to score. And uh, yeah, Arsenal have given themselves a bit of a problem. They should be able to turn it round, but they might not. I mean, I agree with Barry. And let's not forget as well that it was Arteta that took off um, took off their nominated forward, Trossard, for a midfielder, Jorginho, and kind of at nil-nil and looked more to sort of solidify that midfield rather than say they were going gung-ho and throwing on forwards trying to get a win. So I didn't really... Th- necessarily agree with that idea that Porto were uh trying to sort of negative their way to a to a, a you know to the results so no I didn't really necessarily see that there's certainly not Jose Marino's Porto that won the tournament in 2000 <laughs> and what was it four now that that was a negative no. Porto no Presumably, Pepe was still like 54 then, even though he was, you know, kicking about around Madrid. Yes, Lars? I wonder about that Jorginho thing. I mean, the big X factor with him is that we don't know what his fitness situation is because, of course, it's been said that he's been carrying a knock for a long time and stuff. But after he was so influential in that Liverpool game and that Arsenal midfield worked so well then, I, I, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't start. I mean, again, it might be he's not able to, but it just... It, it, it seemed that that was the midfield against tough opposition that kind of made sense because he gives them a bit of tactical nous in there. He moves the ball well, and it frees up Declan Rice to roam around a little bit more. Whereas when you're playing the Bur- the Burnleys and the West Hams of this world, the various sort of disjointed, clarish sort of rabble, then uh, then you can sort of just have Rice in there and, and all the attacking guys can sort of be free. Uh, I, I do wonder... I don't know. Maybe maybe they underestimated Porto a little bit. Maybe they thought this was the game they could boss and, and, and play as if you were playing a, a a less good Premier League team. I don't know. But it's it's a funny one with Porto because I, I would refer us to the the very excellent Tom Kunders of Portugal who covers the Portuguese league and knows everything. Who sort of commented after the game that uh, that this is probably the least talented Porto squad in 20 years. Yet the coach, uh, Conceição, leads them to victory 
through being tactically clever. I mean, Porto, they've not scored a lot of goals domestically. Like, they've scored 37 goals in 22 games. Um, sporting, by comparison, they've scored 60. So they're not they're not exactly a swashbuckling team in Portugal. But they are, you know, they are very niggly, and they managed to stop Arsenal from getting any kind of rhythm. And Arsenal maybe maybe lacking a bit of maturity. Very few players in this team has played much in the Champions League before. I guess it's only Havertz, really. So um, that, that that probably was one of those nights where they needed a few more cool, cooler heads on the field. This this was Porto's sixth consecutive clean sheet at home. So, you know, they, they know what they're doing. Theo, Theo Walcott was on the radio last night. I made a really, what I thought was a really interesting point about Premier League players don't play in the evening very much. And so they're not used to playing in the evening. So they're a bit sort of bored or they're, you know, they've, they just don't know what to do with their day or like the, the the structure of the day means they just go for walks and have sleeps and eat chicken and, you know, have to read all the data that they have to, you know, that, that they've been given by the manager. And so by the evening, they're just sort of, they're past being ready to play football, <laughs> which I suppose is got quite, if you have a routine, right, you sort of know when your kickoff is. I guess we kind of assume that they all do really important sort of sports science related sort of preparation stuff so they're at peak physical condition. But I once I once asked John Anarisa like what he did during the day before the, the big game in Istanbul, of course. Uh expecting there'd be something very fascinating, like maybe <laughs> but uh, it turned out he'd been like binge watching 24 in the hotel most of the day and was I guess, <laughs> was sort of channeling the spirit of Jack Bauer as he was running around so I mean I don't know it's a very good point I mean because they can't really do anything they have to just kind of be ready it's like when we have a live show Max or if we're doing a tour you sort of have to yeah. come up with a, a routine mine invariably watch, involved watching Escape to the Country and uh the repair shop, you know, then you have a shower. Slightly different vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Go and have one pint on my own, which I suppose you can't do if you're about to play a football match. And uh, then turn up at the venue and hang around for ages, you know, just doing not very much. You Eating know, that's crisps. Why we, that's, why we deliver, that's why we deliver such flat live shows. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, good to see two lads on the Arsenal bench you could mistake for one of those definitely legit imported American candy shops on Oxford Street. Sweet heaven next to each other. James Sweet and Aiden Heaven, of course. I mean, that, I mean it shows sort of the youngsters that Arteta has and you know, he doesn't bring them on in the way that Klopp does, which we will get to uh, in a bit. Um, just on the coefficient, Lars, because you know, there are fans of Tottenham and Manchester United and Aston Villa who are watching this thinking, hang on a second. We need <laughs> the English teams to start really turning up because Manchester United haven't, Newcastle United haven't. So they are waiting on this. And at the moment, England, will, the Premier League will not get a fifth place. But obviously, there's a lot of football to be played, right? Yeah, no, as it stands, it's Italy and Germany who are uh, who are top of the pile there. England are, are lagging a little bit behind. I, I guess, the, and, and, and what will have hurt England is... Um, is 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 losing uh losing teams in the group stage of the Champions League. I mean that's 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 bad for your coefficient. But the uh, the up the advantage is that uh you don't get really more points for winning in the Champions League than you get in the Europa League. So if for instance Liverpool were to win the Europa League, that would be enormously helpful. Uh so, so and 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 feasibly you'd expect the English teams to do well in the Europa Conference League as well. So I, I still have faith that the English coefficient will will, will turn out uh, the way those teams want, but, uh, uh, but but the English team stuffing it up in the Champions League 
uh, Newcastle and and and, uh, and Man United was, was certainly very very unhelpful. Yeah, very funny if um, Spurs fans have to cheer Arsenal in a Champions League final. To- <laughs> Which could happen now, and also just remember the day after Newcastle went out of the Champions League group stage, I heard quite a few pundits say, well, you know what, they're better off not getting into the Europa League. And I was like, lads, that, given that fifth is really not an improbable scenario for Newcastle, that could turn out to be very, very wrong. I mean, contributing to England not getting that spot would uh, is not helpful, I don't think, for those teams. <laughs> In the other game, uh, Napoli won, Barca won. Jonathan, not a classic. I mean, quite an interesting game. I thought Barca started better. Napoli, obviously, under their new manager, came into it. By the end, you sort of felt Barca were holding on and then Barca almost won it with the last kick. Yeah, and it's, you know, I find it still quite curious to see sort of Lamine Yamal at 16. I think he became the youngest ever player to appear in the Champions League knockout stages. That's, I think, 16 years, 200 and something Mm days. Um, Almost carrying... FC Barcelona, which is you know a massive, such a massive club, uh, he he seems to have almost become the figurehead. I, I, was, I was out in Spain a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he's like front page of all the you know sports papers, uh, Mundo Deportivo, and others because of how well he's playing. You know he's he's been incredible really, and I'm kind of I've got kind of split opinions on this on a 16 year old having that much pressure on them, um, having to carry such a massive team. But at the moment he, he's taken to it really well and. Um, you know, putting a, an okay performance in this one. I, I know he got substituted. Obviously, Lewandowski and Osimhen were the two the two goal getters. Uh, Osimhen back from you know the Africa Cup of Nations, where we won't talk too much about Nigeria's uh, disappointment in the final there. But um, yeah, no, I, I think both teams will probably be fairly satisfied with this one. Uh, I don't think either side was necessarily amazing. But at the same time, neither side kind of let themselves down. I would have expected Napoli maybe to to get a result, but they are in a bit of a you know transition phase at the moment, a bit of turmoil going on there. So I think that's maybe to be expected. And obviously Barcelona, are, you know, um, they haven't been the Champions League sort of heavyweights for the last few. Well, haven't haven't been the Champions League heavyweights have they for the last few years? I mean, they weren't even in the knockout stages last season, um, having dipped into the Europa League. So. A curious game, really. It didn't really. I don't think you could really. I couldn't really conclude too much about either side. I don't know what what you other guys thought. Yeah, I mean, actually, that that um, that Lewandowski goal, Lars, was Barca's first goal in the knockouts for sort of more than a thousand days. I think Messi was the last guy to score in a knockout game for Barcelona, which sort of feels extraordinary. But I guess a thousand days is only three years. Anyway, what did you make of the game? I am hearing words like interesting and intriguing, and I, I just thought this was a bit crap as well, to be honest. I, I was doing my usual thing of, <laughs> Fine, yeah. I was doing my usual thing of having both games on at the same time, and again, like you having the audio from one and kind of looking at the other. I find that's the best way to to double double screen. And what usually happens is that your eye is kind of drawn to watch whichever game where the most is happening. Here, my eye was drawn to my phone and to like to the <laughs> to, wall. I mean, to escape maybe, to the country, so, so, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> maybe could, could I find twenty four on somewhere? Is that is that uh, which streaming service has that now? What, what, it, it was it was real bad, and I just think. It's. I know it's not news because we've been talking about it all season, but both these teams are, are so much worse than they were last year. I mean, Napoli is one of the most scandalously bad title defences in recent memory. Like, you start out, like, with Spalletti leaving, 
you hire Rudy Garcia, which you should never do, and you, you sort of end up putting Walter Mazzaro in charge, and 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 now you have the the Calzona guy who's also in charge of what is this Slovakia or Slovenia? I always mix yeah. them up, and Slovakia. this is like I you yeah. you shouldn't have a guy who's like doing this part time whilst also managing a national team from Eastern Europe. Like that, that is not how Scudetto winners are supposed to behave. So it's just not a good situation for them. And given what an absolute mess Napoli are in, I was kind of expecting Barcelona to win. And of course, they dominated possession. Well, they did for a while, but they weren't great either. And you mentioned uh, Laminia Mal obviously looks fantastic. And you've got Pedri there who looks fantastic. And that's kind of the good news for Barcelona are these young players. But all this stuff they've done around, the, the stuff they've spent all the lever money on, I'm not sure, man. Like, Lewandowski obviously scores a great goal, and Lewandowski will do that. But I do wonder, when you are this club that's in huge financial problems, that, that, that you've kind of made much worse by selling off bits of your future income for short-term success. And 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 the thing you've, part of what you've spent it on is giving a massive contract to old man Lewandowski. I, I, I do think that's the sort of behavior that sort of future sports management students will be be pointed to at a blackboard showing like what on earth were they doing this is really stupid for the uh, for, for the club I, I i tend to think um but uh, all that being said and we've gone on for a bit now they eventually got into it like the, i think the goal from ossiman which is a really good goal and you can see why ossiman is one of the most sort of in demand number nines in the world uh, that was, I think, their second shot in the game. Never mind on target. I think that was their second effort. And it was like in the 79th minute. After that, they woke up a little bit and, and had a bit of something about them and, and, and kind of started pressing a bit and running a little bit. But no, it was, this, was, this was real bad, I thought. And, and, and Barcelona, in a way, I guess if you're Barcelona, you're happy to come out of the away game with the draw bearing in mind how bad they've been defensively in the league. Like, Barcelona have conceded 34 goals in the league. That's just, like, one fewer than Cadiz, who are 18th. So, like, it's for them to get out of the away game, having only conceded once, I guess, is fine. But given how bad Napoli were, you also feel like they kind of maybe should have won here. And it was just, no, no, no. It was frustrating to see that many clearly good footballers on the same pitch produce so little of note. Yeah. Um, just, to, just for us, Slovenian and Slovakian, uh, listeners to apologize sorry. for the flippancy of our nordic uh correspondent yeah, there you know like it's like you know it's like saying norway and sweden are the same which we all know they are but obviously which we people would never do say, say and that. no one ever apologizes so actually <laughs> i think you're all right uh anyway uh that'll do for part one part two we'll do liverpool's victory over luton in the premier league ryan reynolds here from mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Thank you. 
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Liverpool 4, Luton 1. Uh, Liverpool back to four points clear then at the top of the table. I mean, there was a bit of a scare for them, Baz, in this. one down at half-time. Struggled to create in the first half. I don't know if any part of you thought at half-time, oh, this might be the game. Or did you think, well, they'll probably score three in the second half and it turned out to be four? We all know Luton scored far too early. Yes. <laughs> um, and they were ultimately made, punished for their impertinence. Uh Liverpool have recovered 22 points from losing positions this season. They were at home. Um, admittedly, they have a lot of injuries. Missing Salah, Matip, Jota, Nunes, Bosley, Curtis Jones, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Allison, each of whom uh, probably costs far more than, or are worth far more than Luton's entire squad. Uh, but, um, yeah, the Klopp, they were poor in the first half. Klopp got them in at half time, changed things around a bit, to move Connor Bradley into midfield, moved Graven Birch out wide, played with two at the front up top, and uh the goals eventually came. The only thing I and it's no great surprise, the only thing I would say that most of the goals were avoidable from a looting perspective. They fell asleep for one, it came from a throw in. There was one from a corner, mm. or it was a two. But anyway, yeah, they were avoidable goals. Rob Edwards said after the game, you know, we, we just made them mad by scoring the first goal. <laughs> and he said his team could learn a lot from the, the exhibition of counter-pressing put on by uh, Liverpool. So, uh, you know, a defeat for Liver- Luton. We all expected it, but they continue to score goals. They continue to play reasonably well against, very well or reasonably well against elite opposition. And I, w- I wouldn't imagine Edwards was too disappointed at losing the game. Um, I wonder if Conor Bradley's been put into midfield. Where, where the hell's Trent Alexander-Arnold <laughs> meant to go <laughs> up front? Um, uh, Jonathan, Luis Diaz was sort of shooting from everywhere. He's got real manic vibes. And I, I guess that, because Darwin Nunes gets all the headlines for being the sort of chaos centre forward or attacking player. So I forget that Luis Diaz has quite a lot of chaos as well, even though he took his goal beautifully in the end. Yeah, I think it's it's up to, isn't it? We have to credit for the the stat that they all five Liverpool forward or five Liverpool forwards have scored ten plus goals this season, which is a really good sign of their strength and depth, to be honest. And I think that's an underrated element of Liverpool's uh, squad, just the fact that they they have good strength in numbers. You know, a lot of people are talking about the injuries, maybe to to Jota, for example. But they they can replace them with. I know I know Elliot's maybe not a forward. He played a bit in a bit more of a forward role in this game, but they could they've, they've just got so many options to replace them. Gakpo, uh, Diaz, as he mentioned there, and and others. So yeah, Diaz is you know he's a really good player. He kind of had his injuries, didn't he, last season, and and maybe went out of the radar. But you know, everyone remembers when he first joined the club. He was he was so he had such an immediate impact. And it's just a testament to sort of like the, the the recruitment at Liverpool in terms of how they recruit their forwards and 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 even the midfield they've sort of really solidified it the likes of Endo and and Graven Birch and and and, and McAllister of course so yeah they definitely have the depth I think to challenge for the title and, and potentially go all the way I mean they already are challenging for the title of course four, four points clear now so I don't think even though they do have some injuries you know to the likes of Trent and Allison and others. I don't think that's necessarily going to massively hamper them. I think they've got the strength to beat most teams. It's, of course, that game against Man City probably that's going to be so decisive and that everyone's sort of looking at in the calendar um, for how their season's going to go. But they they really are in an excellent position with a real chance of, of winning the title, I think. 
So, lovely moment, I thought, for Chidozi Ogbene to score, because I believe he is a Liverpool fan, so there's, there's exciting times for him to score at, at Anfield, and he seems like a lovely lad. Um, I would just echo what Barry mentioned about the goals being uh, avoidable, and this worries me a little bit about Luton, because I've, I've watched most of their recent games, and they've started conceding a few goals that are of, of the kind of nature that we may be worried about Luton conceding when they got up, you know, this is where you look at and think, good lord, someone should have done a little bit better there. I'm sure Rob Edwards is right on top of this, and they did so well for so long, uh, being competitive, and listen, still games left, yada yada yada, but I, I, I'd worry a little bit about that development. They've, they've started conceding soft goals recently, I feel. Yeah, just on uh, just on um, Liverpool and their use of their youngsters, uh, Benji says, can we give the credit to the role of Jaden Dans in the fourth Liverpool goal? The son of Neil Dans, who in my mind is 24, so like this is... A, a nightmare um who i think had a music career i feel it was a prime soccer am guest because he sang songs and was a footballer neil dance there's a lovely moment where who, who which who, which one was neil dance because i was thinking of scott dan no, scott dan is a who i remember center back very different very different yeah he he, he did a phil bab on a goal post yeah. once so i'm so no he probably may not have true I, <laughs> I don't know neil dance is a sort of who did he play for? Millwall, I think. Palace. That's my sort of... Colchester. Did he play for Colchester, did he? Yes. Uh, he did. Good one representing there. So, uh, mm. uh, Jonathan, our Colchester correspondent. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I may have not got his career totally correct. But it was a nice moment when Rob Edwards came on and said to Jaden Dance and to Jürgen Klopp, I played against your dad because uh, uh, he did play against Neil Dance. But Klopp does use his youngsters in a way that perhaps, you know, you know, Arsenal made one change, which we criticised, bringing Georgino on. But he, you know, he could have made other changes, um, brought on more youngsters in that game. And I think that is a, you know, that is a sign that you have to have great belief in those guys. If you look at Connor Bradley, who may not have got his chance without the injuries, now looks like a, a stunning player. Um, Cam says, "Hi, Max Barry and crew. Long time listener, first time writer here. Found your riffs on Darwin Nunes's goal hilarious on Monday's pod. This was the chip or dink versus Brentford." Um, as a Latino listener born in Peru and raised in Colombia, I have no idea where Vaselina comes from, as we were talking about scooping Vaseline from the tub. However, I wanted to add a few maybe more poetic names for the move that, that were generally more common in my childhood. A sombrero, literally a hat, which visually makes a lot more sense, I would think. Or a globito, a little balloon, which is also a nice image and far better than that of Vaseline. Uh, thanks for your good work, says Cam. Thank you, Cam. I'll happily call it a globito going forwards. A little balloon. Uh, Liverpool played Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final. And this game is more tantalising, Barry, than when they both came through their respective semi-finals, I would say. Well, I suppose it's more tantalising because Chelsea are better and Liverpool are going to be without quite a few players Yes, uh, through injury. Are you not tantalised? Um, no, not really. I'm, I'm not particularly tantalised. The last two cup finals these teams have played have been diabolically bad. They both finished nil-nil. Chelsea won both of them on penalties. The very same thing could happen again on Sunday. I hope it doesn't. A few weeks ago, I would be hugely confident of a Liverpool victory, and now I wouldn't be confident of them winning one bit. Hmm. And it, it would be so Chelsea, Lars. Like sort of, you know, all the things you say about, you know, time and you know. Just every sort of every cliche you use about football, and Chelsea just ruin it by being garbage and winning things, and you could just see that happening. Well, and 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 Chelsea have not been quite as bad this season as a lot of their uh, as a lot of their critics w- would have it. That's a that's a hill I've been 
uh, willing to, if not die on, but certainly uh, sustain major injuries and contract diseases on this season, is that Chelsea are actually not that terrible. And and I just noticed something looking at this, uh, looking ahead to this game. I, I think we all agree we have a pretty clear top three in this season. We have Liverpool, Man City, and Arsenal, who are like quite by a long way better than than the chasing pack in the league. Chelsea have sp- played uh, five five games against these three teams. They've nearly played all the games against them. Five games. They've only lost one of them, um, uh, which is interesting. They they haven't won any either. They've got one defeat and four draws against Liverpool, Man City, and Arsenal. But it is there is something about the way they're set up that makes them quite nasty to play against for these top teams because they're very strong on the counter and they've, they've got quite a lot of guys who are good at running into space and and doing things. And then they do generally speaking seem more comfortable in these games, Chelsea, than they are when they're trying to break down a low block. I mean, they've they've lost a bunch of games against mid-table teams who they should really not lose against. Uh, But against these top teams, they tend to turn up. And I think there's something about the game state that suits the players they have a little bit better. Uh, Barry's obviously completely right is that these were so boring the last time we did this. But I just wonder, I'm not sure Liverpool have it in them to be boring right now because they've got so much going on going forward and they never fully convince you defensively. And coming up against a good counter-attacking team in Chelsea, I just think this should be fun. The, The XF, the expected fun is quite high going into the game but as we know with from xg doesn't always translate into actual g whether the xf will translate into actual fun uh sunday will tell i guess jonathan your thoughts on the carabao cup final before we break for part two yeah i think liverpool will win it quite comfortably actually uh i think chelsea they've been okay this season but the last time they played liverpool they lost 4-1 um and i think Lars's point there about they, they haven't been too bad but they haven't won any of those any of those games and I just think Liverpool have way too much for them. So now I'm going to sort of um, dampen that parade a little bit on Chelsea. So sorry to do that, but I, I, I can't see anything other than Liverpool winning quite quite easily. I would agree. Liverpool are clear favourites for sure. I'm just being the hype man. I'm trying to make this sound more interesting than it possibly is, um, <laughs> which is what what we need on this pod. <laughs> just somebody make yes. make it more interesting than than, than 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 this actually is. Anyway, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll look at the Premier League fixtures. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, on paper, one of those not fascinating fixture lists, like a fight to be last on match of the day. The last time I said that, there was a record number of goals in the Premier League. And uh, and so perhaps these games will be great. Manchester United, Fulham. Jim Ratcliffe has been speaking, Jonathan. Uh, what did you make of what he had to say if you uh, listened to it? I think, to be honest, from a United fan perspective, it was akin to not eating anything for 10 years and then being given some Jaffa cakes um, in the sense of just the complete void of any leadership from the top and any even statements for 15 years, uh, 18 years or whatever it's been. And then suddenly having someone come out and start making bold statements about knocking Liverpool or knocking Manchester City off their perch. It was, 
no matter how boisterous it was, I think, like I say, from a United fan perspective, it was it was it was nice. It was nice to hear. You're just too hungry to analyse it properly. You were just like gorging, <laughs> like the cookie just crumbs, monster. You were just like crumbs of, everywhere. Just crumbs of optimism <laughs> to to cling onto. That even no matter how much hot air it could be, it, it, it felt nice. Um, just just hearing someone with ambition. But just how long have you not been eating for is the concern? Because if you're really starving, then Jaffa cakes, like nutritionally, is probably yeah, not what your body point. needs. I mean, that, that could, could be really dangerous to eat the wrong thing after. Yeah, he said, uh, look, nobody's been successful at Manchester United in the, the last 11 years. That would say to me there's something wrong with the environment. Um, it's not constructive for me to blame anyone. Give us a little bit of time. Try to be patient. Uh, we'll try and build Manchester United back to where it should be. I thought, I thought actually... Barry, the most interesting thing for a neutral point of view is what he was saying about Old Trafford. You know, a big argument for regenerating the whole south side of Manchester, getting a new stadium, making the Wembley of the north. Um, I'd be interested in what United fans would feel about leaving Old Trafford. It feels just insane that they wouldn't play at Old Trafford. But, you know, other other teams have moved grounds before. Uh, what do you make of it? Yeah, well, I mean, he made it sound like the area around Old Trafford is some sort of slum, which it very much isn't. Um and he wants uh, the taxpayer to pay for the redevelopment or the new stadium and cited Twickenham, which wasn't paid for by the taxpayer, Wimbledon, which I don't think was paid for by the taxpayer, <laughs> as examples of why Old Trafford should be paid for by the taxpayer. He also, to be fair, mentioned uh, the O2 Arena, which was originally paid for by the taxpayer before being sold, and uh, West Ham's ground. Uh, which was built by the government and uh, was, you know, that ended up being a financial black hole, the manner in which it was handed to West Ham. Um, And people have pointed out the irony of a tax exile who's uh, based in Monaco or wherever it is, putting on the poor mouth and asking for government money uh, is a bit Irish. And I think this was raised at this briefing he gave to a dozen or so journalists in Ineos Towers, uh, and he said, well, I paid taxes for 65 years, then I fan- I reached retirement age and fancied a bit of sunshine, so I went to Monaco to live. So uh, he wasn't having any of that. I'm not sure, you know, that's a fair defence. Um, you know, pay your taxes. <laughs> Just uh, In Ireland, we have the same sort of debate over... J.P. McManus, who's very generous with his money and gives it to charity and gives it to GAA clubs and whatnot and invests loads in the, the racing industry. But, you know, maybe just pay your taxes instead or as well. But I thought the Ratcliffe briefing, you know, he said all the stuff Manchester United fans are lapping up. And if you read the comment sections under some of the accounts of this briefing, the amount of forelock tugging going on for Manchester United fans is <laughs> as nauseating as it is predictable. Uh, he wants to knock Man City and Liverpool off their perch. He wants Man United to win and play the best football in the world. Um, you know, so this is all catnip for Man U fans. But he's also bought himself time by saying it'll take at least three years to do this. Uh, interestingly, he was quite non-committal on the Mason Greenwood thing. He he made it clear there could be a way back for Mason Greenwood, and he very conspicuously didn't support Eric Ten Hag, saying it would be in, inappropriate to comment on that when he was 
more than happy to comment on any other thing he was asked. So a bit worrying for Eric Ten Hag, I would say. So he may very well revolutionise the way Man United play and, and get them back to winning ways, but there's not much he's done at Nice or Lausanne that would suggest he's he's the man for the job. And I I, I have to say, I'm, I'm very suspicious about him. Uh, and it's mainly his... His uh, relationship with David Brailsford that makes me just smell a massive rat. I I, I think Brailsford is a charlatan, but you know other opinions are available, and that's just the reason I think that is because I I take a keen interest and have covered um, professional cycling, but he may very well be a, a genius when it comes to kind of running a football club. How do those Jaffa cakes taste now, Jonathan, <laughs> after that? <laughs> Very much enjoyed him saying that it wouldn't be constructive to sort of blame anyone. And presumably the follow-up was because they're still technically the majority owners. I probably shouldn't, <laughs> like, stick the, probably shouldn't stick the boot in in the media from day zero. One point he made, which I actually thought, I mean, I, I'm as cynical as, as Barry is. I'm, I'm more of the team... Uh, uh, fags and cynicism than Team Jaffa Cake in, in this particular regard, uh, but he did make a point which I thought was valid, which is that, that he's I think he said something about already having made some mistakes in terms of running a football club, uh, and he's just kind of made them elsewhere because of course they they did make a mess of Nice initially, like they they weren't great after taking them over, but they then things have been going better recently. So he has had a sort of a dry run on the Riviera, so to speak, before he now you know tries to play with the big boys and and run Man United, which I guess there is some value to that. That all being said, if I was a Manchester United fan, as Jonathan said. I would be enthused that there is a man there who supports the football team, who said it is a childhood dream, who is sort of at least shows some interest in Manchester United being good on the pitch. Like the, that is that is like I know the bar is low, but like if I was a United fan, I think I would be feeling those things. You know, there are no guarantees, of course. I'm quite interested in in, in Barry's comments on um, Dave Relson, so I don't know if there's a chance to elaborate on that. But yeah, I think in terms of what I was sort of trying to get at is. When you look at it from that perspective, and I, I take on board everything um, you guys have said, which I find like I, I'm not at the end of the day, it's, it's words, right? It's any, anyone can say anything and sound good, and and let's see what happens in three years' time. To be honest, but I think what I, what the point I was trying to make is I've just done a funnily enough, I've just done a um, module on uh, leadership uh, as part of our as part of the MBA I'm doing. So there's a there's a concept called charismatic leadership where obviously the leader comes out and has all these big uses like metaphor and uses these grand statements to basically lay a marker of, of their leadership attention. And so for, for me, I found it. And whilst I do bear in mind what Barry is saying, and I'm not, I'm not saying I bought it, but what I'm saying is that for, for, for United who have had just no communication from the top, a general feeling for nearly two decades that money is the, you know, with using the club as a cash machine and withdrawing the interest, using the club as a, you know, taking the interest and, paying everyone dividends and not really being bothered about anything, but maybe finishing top four. Um, having someone finally talking about trying to win trophies and trying to have success and tr- trying to play good football w- was something that's been really lacking at, at United for like twen- like a good 15 years since maybe, say, Ferguson retired or, you know, 13 years, uh, how many of years it is now, but over a decade. So I think from that point of view, that was what I found quite interesting about it. Whether I bought it or not is, is different. But I definitely think from a, from a leadership point of view, he, he said all the right things. Um, I quite enjoyed the comment about, 
um, Manchester United being a completely different prospect to every other any other club in London because I think there was a comparison with Chelsea made there in there somewhere. So he he, he was careful to take pot shots at pretty much every single club in the Premier League, which which was quite interesting. So I I, do, I can definitely see the sort of anti Manchester United fans' backs being up because he definitely made a few statements that would would have riled them, but. When you've been laughed at for the last decade, I think I don't think that's too bad to have a, someone coming out with a little bit of uh, swagger about them. So I, I can certainly see see both sides of it, but um, I'm not not sold. But it was definitely an interesting show, I thought. Um, but I am interested in day uh, in Barry's comments there on Sir Dave Brailsford. <laughs> yes, producer Joel says. Can we not elaborate on Dale Brasford, please? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, the other thing I'll say, moving moving swiftly on, just to just to quickly go away from that. Um, also, in terms of United, it's it's nice to not see sort of accountants being put in high positions. So, in terms of actual action so far, it's, it's from a United point of view, it's nice to not see sort of accountants and and bankers being put in high level football positions. Um, obviously, the recruitment of Omar Barada from Manchester City, Dan Ashworth. I know that that that's been talked about a little bit already. But seeing competent people trying to be put in high-level positions within the football club in footballing areas is also quite refreshing to see. So I'd say it's an optimistic start, but I, I totally take on board um, Barry's and Lars' cynicism as well because at the end of the day, like you said, it is just words. Other games in the Premier League, Arsenal-Newcastle, um, uh, Palace-Burnley, obviously Oliver Glasner's first game in charge, uh, West Ham-Brentford, Wolves play Sheffield United, uh, amongst others. Any that take your fancy, Lars? Your expected fun on any of those? My, my, my expected fun. I mean, I was distracted by a bumblebee here. Did you did you read up Arsenal Newcastle? Because the expected yes. fun is sky high on that one. Um, the okay. expected fun for current Newcastle games is. Uh, I mean, New, Newcastle are such a strange case because they were last season one of the tightest defenses in the league, and they were as well in this season up until the start of November thereabouts, and then it just co- completely collapsed. And if you look at their sort of XG since the start of November, they've conceded more chances than anyone else in the league. Like they're they're they're, they're worse than someone like Sheffield United and these guys. Like they're defensively all over the place, and and they've kind of improved a little bit since coming out of the winter schedule, but still like conceding so many chances and uh, but attacking a bit better now and i just thought it was odd listening to eddie howe talk about he was asked about all these goals going in after the game last weekend and he said well we're not really doing much different from what we were doing before you just sometimes get these random spells or something he said well man it's been 15 games like that's not a random spell like this is <laughs> something is like profoundly wrong with the sort of how they try to defend and their games are fairly chaotic and exciting. And I expect uh, for an Arsenal team that now has to, you know, they, they, they've just come back from Portugal. Uh, you know, that, that, that could be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I am also going to be at Old Trafford for the United Fulham game, which is exciting for me, obviously, because United are... Yeah, they got some exciting young players. And also Fulham is like the number one team in the Premier League that I cannot figure out. I believe Barry has said similar things. Like, I look at their team on paper, it looks a bit bad. Whenever I see them, they look bad. But then they keep picking up results when I least expect them. And I don't understand what's happening with Fulham. And I'm very glad that I'll be watching 90 minutes... Yeah, but what is happening? Why, why is this team picking up so many points? Because they never look good when I'm looking. So maybe they'll look good uh, at Old Trafford this weekend. I look forward to finding out. Just on Arsenal Newcastle, you can imagine it will be Dan Byrne chasing Bakayo Saka like a Scooby-Doo baddie. 
chases yes. <laughs> chases Shaggy and friends. But this is the Premier League drinking game. Now. This is completely, if you're doing the Premier League drinking game, Dan Byrne is the nippy winger runs away from Dan Byrne down your entire drink. This is just a big part of the drinking game right now. Elliot says, has a managerial merry-go-round ever consisted of just one manager before? <laughs> um, Charlie, Charlie says, Neil Harris is good at changing clubs, isn't he, Max? Uh, yes, so Neil Harris, who was at Gillingham at the start of the season, got sacked, then became Cambridge United manager 77 days ago, uh, was unveiled as new Millwall manager uh, yesterday to save them from relegation. Uh, our mates, they're not the top 20, amongst others, tweeting, surely the first to manage clubs in the Championship League 1 and League 2 in the same season. Just needs to do really well with Pallet, with um, Millwall for about five games and then get the Sheffield United job so he can complete the set. Um Yes, I must admit, I was quite surprised when <laughs> I sort of woke up and there was all this sort of speculation. I was like, well, surely not. Like, he's only just, he's literally only just arrived. Like, like there's no way you would just leave. And it turns out there is a way, which is, you know, go to a bigger club, get paid more money, be near your house, where you were a club legend, where you'd already managed them successfully and you're, you're their record goal scorer. Obviously, you know, all I'm doing is tweeting snake emojis and saying there's no, <laughs> there's, there's no loyalty left in Millwall. I guess I kind of see it from his perspective. But I did um, I did sign up to Millwall TV uh, so I could watch his welcoming video. And I've written a column about this, but the social media guy at Millwall is called Max. So it felt really personal. <laughs> he kept saying, well, the thing is, Max... You know, I'm here to change this club. I was like, all right, mate, you don't have to tell me, don't, don't, don't tell me to my face. I know you've fucked off, mate, but don't tell me. And he did say, I mean, he's quite good at, he does a lot of cliches. He's a bit like a sort of action man, you know, says the football club a lot, says in the building a lot. And he, and he talks about galvanize. He wants to galvanize everything. Like everything, <laughs> everything is being, everything is being galvanized. Everyone is going to be covered in zinc by the time he's finished. But obviously um, I, I don't wish him any luck at all. Mill will have a terrible fixture list. They're quite low down in the championship. I don't really want to start a turf war with Millwall. I don't think that's a, a really good thing for me or Cambridge. <laughs> don't, don't tweak the lion's tail. No, Max. no, but um obviously would like them to go down and ask to stay up and see what reception Neil Harris gets at the Abbey when he comes back next season. But are you saying you'd like them to be knocked off their perch, Max? I would like them to be not. I mean, they're not really on a perch, are they? <laughs> you know, they're an absolute shit time in the championship. Like they're sort of at the bottom of a cage. I just got them to fall out of the cage and come and join us in our little shit cage. Um, Anyway, we are. it's our biggest game of the season at home to Peterborough United on Saturday, who stuffed us 5-0 earlier in the season. So... Not ideal timing. Has Xavi Alonso been linked with the Cambridge job? <laughs> he's not, yes, he's yet to put his hat in the ring or whatever it, whatever it is. But, you know, hopefully we'll be part of that tug of war. <laughs> I mean, I saw Steve Bruce linked with the South Korea oh, job in one of the papers the other day. So really anything can happen now. I think we're <laughs> through some right. kind of looking glass where there's yeah. really no. <laughs> I did look at um, longest serving managers ever. And uh, there was a guy called Fred Everest. It was Everest was the uh, West Brom manager from something like 1902 to 1946. And I did think, I reckon the players had got bored of training by year 40, wouldn't they? <laughs> you know, like that is really, a, that's an awfully long time to, to be managing one football club. But anyway, um, 
really quite funny. Here we go. Wickham's tweet. Um, can, we can confirm that Luke Lee was shown a yellow card tonight for drying the ball on a steward's jacket prior to taking a throw in. So there, that's a good booking uh, for, for Wickham Wanderers. Uh, it reminds me of in the Soccer AM glory years when we actually made, had Rory Delap. Uh, we designed some Soccer AM towels for Rory Delap and then they were banned from being used so he couldn't dry his footballs before his long throws. Uh, finally, Caroline says, uh, Hi, Max and Barry. I'd massively appreciate it if you could give a shout out to my partner, Chris, on your podcast next week. He listens to the pod religiously and loves you both, although he has a massive soft spot for Barry. That's okay. Uh, we will be driving from where we live in Kent all the way to Hollyhead next Friday, where we're getting the ferry home to Ireland for our wedding. We have the Child of Prague on standby an Irish tradition for good weather on your wedding day. I saw that you were looking for questions, so here is one for Barry, who might be able to impart some knowledge. Does the child of Prague go under a bush or in front of the house for optimum luck and less chance of rain? Also, is it tempting fate to even involve the child of Prague when we are in fact having a civil ceremony? There's no doubt we'll be listening to you on our five-hour drive to Wales, and this would completely surprise him. Thanks a million. Love the pod. Uh, Thank you, Caroline, uh, and good luck to you and Chris. Tell us about the child of Prague, Barry, if you've ever heard of it. I'm afraid Caroline's absolutely stumped me here. The, oh. the child of Prague, it rings a faint bell, but I, not being particularly religious, uh, I don't know what it is. I presume it's a, a, a little statue of the baby Jesus or something. Uh, I've no idea if it controls the weather, but if Caroline and Chris are travelling today, Thursday... I believe torrential rain is forecast for the whole of Britain. And I just hope, Max, that their uh, trip from (laughs) the southeast of England (laughs) to Hollyhead in a car is more pleasant than ours was from Hollyhead to to London some years ago in awful weather when we should have had a little child of Prague although we wouldn't have been able to squeeze it into our pokey little hire car with five people in it Uh, that was one of the worst days slash nights of my life (laughs) and I wouldn't wish it on anyone so yeah I hope Caroline and Chris have a much more pleasant journey than we did and uh, I I wish them every happiness and a great great wedding day Mm. Yes, I mean, I, and I hope on the ferry you don't, uh, as we did, arrived at Hollyhead. So obviously you're taking the reverse journey. You don't arrive at Dublin and just bob around outside Dublin for an hour and a half because it's too windy to moor. And and Caroline and Chris, if on the ferry you see a drunk Nottingham Forest fan, <laughs> avoid at all costs. I'm not sure if he's an amenity, a fixture on Stennisling ferries, but yeah. Not drunk Nottingham Forest fans on on ferries are to be avoided mm. at all costs, it's, as Max will will tell you. I'm looking at a child of Prague. It is a little baby, basically dressed a bit like the Pope. I would say. I mean, I'm not an expert, but it's got some kind of Catholic hat on and a big robe, and it's on a little plinth. And um, you can get it cheapest one you could get is about twenty five quid. Um, you can get them for up to five hundred pounds. You know, so it depends on your what sort of child of Prague you're looking at but uh, um, you know best of luck to the two of you and to your child of Prague and I uh, hope you have a lovely wedding and that'll do for today uh, thank you Jonathan you're welcome thank you Max thanks Lars thank you Max cheers Barry thank you Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Max Sons. this is The Guardian <laughs> 